Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. This is the Cubs-related podcast presented by CubsInsider.com. My name is Corey. I am joined, as always, by Brendan. And we have a special guest with us today. That is none other than Greg Huss of CubsInsider.com and the Growing Cubs podcast covering all things in the Cubs minor league system. Greg has been on the show before, and we thought, uh, uh, while we have, at least for now, a, a brief period of peace in terms of the Cubs breaking our hearts or trading players that we know and love, we would take a look at the future. Jed Hoyer has used that phrase a lot, that while they intend to compete in 2021, the eye is toward the future. So we figured, what better way to discuss that than someone who has a much stronger working knowledge of the Cubs system than certainly me, and I think also Brendan. Uh, But Greg, welcome back. Uh, We're happy to have you here. Thanks, guys. It's a good sign that I'm on because that means that nothing big has happened with the Cubs, and that means that Chris Bryant and Wilson Contreras are still with the Cubs, right? Well, we may have to kick you off for now. Uh, that trade gets announced during this. I may have just. So we'll it. see. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That is uh, something that that we have to monitor. And if you've listened to this podcast for any period of time, you know that it's it's not an uncommon occurrence, uh, even during the regular season, that Brendan and I will record a podcast and then something happens like the next morning, whether it's somebody getting DFA'd or sent down or injured or anything like that, that we just spent 30 minutes breaking down the night before that is now (laughs) completely useless. So hopefully that doesn't happen, though I think a good substance of this conversation uh, will be useful no matter what. Uh, Really the only thing that could happen is we won't talk about new prospects if something does happen uh, in that time. But where I want to start, Greg, I think this is a pretty obvious place to start. Brendan and I have broken down the U Darvish trade and, and that whole situation in multiple ways. We did so like 20 minutes after learning that it was going to happen in a uh, unfiltered and, you know, sort of raw emotion kind of way. Then last week after we had heard from Jed Hoyer, got a little more context on the situation, why it went down the way it did, why it was that package, why it was the Padres, things like that. So now that we are a few weeks removed from that happening, we've all had time to kind of heal from that uh, experience. As Jed Hoyer has said a lot, 
the eye is toward the future. The team wants to compete in 2021, but the eye is toward the future. He's talked about that in terms of big free agent spending, in terms of trades that they're looking at. The the eye for this organization is not on the 2021 season. When he says future, we're not exactly positive what that means or when the baseball budget will tick back up to where we'd all like it to be, but the eye is toward the future, whatever that means. So I I think the easiest place to start, and I I don't want to put you on the spot here, Greg, and ask you to make us feel better about the U Darvish trade (laughs) or justify it completely or anything like that, but we've litigated the trade, we've litigated the motivation, and it happened. This is what they did. This is the direction that they're going. So I, I I just want to see if you can offer, and I know that a lot of these guys are 18, 19, and, and have literally not played professional baseball. We're coming off a pandemic season where there wasn't a full minor league system, et cetera. But what, what information you have, what information you've been able to glean from uh, other scouts, sources, et cetera, on the return that the Cubs got, and if you can kind of put into perspective uh, for us and, and the listeners, what these four prospects do to the Cubs system? How, do, how does it change anything? Uh, these guys are all young, uh, but but what does this do for the outlook, at least right now, as this is the only move we've seen so far? I thought you guys wanted me to talk about Zach Davies on here. I'm, I'm confused. No. <laughs> <Right>. um, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, no, I, I think you brought up a good point that uh, these guys, I mean, are, are so, so young. And, uh, I mean, I, I, people have probably seen it elsewhere, but there's only 77 games total played as professionals between the four prospects the Cubs got. And all 77 of those were by one guy. So um, <laughs> there's not a whole lot of experience. There's not a whole lot to go off of. With that being said, there are videos of these guys out there. There's plenty of scouting reports from Baseball America and other MLB Pipeline, things like that. I think what, in general, what the Cubs got from this trade and these prospects was a whole lot of athleticism, which is not something that the system is kind of crawling with right now. I mean, we were just, we were just before we started recording, we, start, we were talking about Jordan Wogu, um, and obviously there's a whole lot of athleticism there and a whole lot of athleticism with Brennan Davis, but as a whole, there's not a whole lot of quick twitch athletes in the system. And with a couple of these guys, that's exactly what you're getting. I think that, um, it's important to see that the lower levels of the system are really, really loaded with a lot of high upside potential players. Now, when you get a, a return like this and a trade for you, Darvish and Vic Caratini in Reggie Preciado and Ismael Mania and Jason Santana and Owen Casey, those are the four guys. Obviously, there, there's potential for them to be all be great, great players. But there's also a possibility they, they fizzle out in double A. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. that's what you get from players that are still 17 and 18 years old. I mean, Yison Santana is the, the the oldest player of the bunch, and he's still only 20. So uh, there's athleticism, there is high upside, but there's also a lot of risk. And uh, I, I guess that was why there was a lot of uproar when this trade was completed as to, oh, the Cubs blew it. The Cubs made a made a bad trade. And uh, it, it's possible that they did, but it's just it's it's too soon to tell. And I think that the, the anger, and from me included, comes from this doesn't really help the team in this year in next year or maybe even the year after right this is a 2024 2025 type trade and that's a we we saw it from from Jed Hoyer we saw it from different guys like this is a different timeline so among the four guys they got back in that prospect category I think the most content available was on Owen Casey he was a second round draft pick a big guy out of Canada. Uh, Fangrass has him listed at 6'4", 190 right now. Uh, of the four guys, is Owen Casey maybe the one that has the most obvious tools? I mean, the power looks like it's kind of off the charts, but some of the, the scouting reports suggested that his swing might be a little bit too long and in need of refinement. What do you think of Owen Casey? And if it's not Owen Casey, who's, I guess, kind of the big guy in that four-package return, is there anyone else that you think may have a better chance of being productive in a shorter timeline? Yeah, I think that Owen Casey's power is one of the tools that is 
clearly there. I mean, you know, with, with Reggie Preciado, the, the tools aren't really as clear with a young guy like that. We've seen the power right. from Owen Casey. So, like, we know that that's there. He put up some just absurd exit velo numbers at all the camps that he went to pre-draft. And I, I've seen a lot of things where it's talked about he has a really long swing, and I've seen some videos, and I, I don't see the long swing quite as much. Neither I did I. I, I, I thought yeah. I, I saw a pretty short, compact swing. Now, he's a big, long guy, so you'd, I think you'd expect a long swing, but I don't, I don't really see that in his, in his swing. So, um, but I, on the other end of the spectrum, I, there's been a lot of talk about um, his plus speed and that he's super athletic, and he might be, but from what I've seen from the videos, I, now, granted, I would take this with a grain of salt because I've only seen so many videos, but I, I think that the, the swing is pretty short into the ball, and I think that his speed and athleticism aren't really there to stay. I don't see him sticking in center field. I think that he's a corner outfielder, um, hopefully, and hopefully a pretty good one. But I, I don't see him being a center fielder at all by the way that he runs. So I, I think that his power, like back to the question you asked, I think his power is, is the most notable of all of these, these tools from these players that we've seen. But at the same time, like Ishmael Mania is, he, he's a really good, like he's, he's really fast, and a lot of people are saying that he's, he's really good defensive skills. So... Those aren't like skills that pop off quite as much as like Owen Casey's power, but those are are loud, noticeable skills too um, that Mania has. Do you expect Casey to be someone who can kind of go through the system faster? Uh, I know you know he's a teenager, right? So it's hard to project at this point. But looking around and seeing you know how some of these younger guys kind of go through the systems these days. Is there a lot of room for just accelerated development, especially given that, you know, we had a COVID timeline, he was drafted in a COVID year, he may have been, who knows, in a better position to be drafted if if not for COVID. Is he, do you think someone who's going to go on a traditional timeline or do you think his skill set is in need of refinement that could be, you know, four years away? Yeah, I don't see him moving too quickly. He's a, he's a guy from Canada and you see a lot of, I mean, like high schoolers from like northern states and I guess northern countries, right? Is is like those, those guys don't move quickly through the system. So I, I wouldn't expect him to to move up pretty quick. But um, I, I also don't see him working really slow. I think the the guy that we could potentially see in Chicago, if we're talking that route first of any of these guys, is Jason Santana, who is mm-hmm. the twenty year old, and I, I think that he probably begins the year in in South Bend and High A. Uh, to start 2021. I mean, there's a possibility in, in Myrtle Beach, but I think he will be with a full season affiliate when the season begins, uh, partially because he's the oldest of the bunch, partially because he actually has professional games under his belt. Uh, but I, I, think that, I think that Santana is the, the quickest potentially to Chicago, but I also kind of I think that he is more of like a utility guy. I don't see him being like an everyday regular type of player. But when I was talking quick twitch, uh, Jason Santana is the guy that I that really stands out as like quick twitch athlete. Uh, when he plays shortstop, there's a lot of like the lateral quickness is there. Uh, he just looks really smooth out there, and I think that's because of his athleticism. So, Greg, when you and again working with the information that you have, when you look at this, like again, we we know that some of the motivation here is obviously financial constraints from ownership. We know that some, you know, we've discussed the motivation, right? So just sort of accepting all of that and taking it as what it is. When Jed talked about this trade, he, you know, and and other members of the media kind of broke down what happened here and, and how this happened. It, it, it sounded a lot like the Cubs needed to move money. They wanted to move Darvish given his age and, you know, that his value was at its peak. And, and all these other reasons, and this was the offer, right? It, it wasn't really a door number one, door number two, door number three situation. It was more of a here's door number one, that's it. Given all of that, do you look at this and and are are you pleased with this return? Does, does the, Do these four guys add something significant to this system? Or, you know, I, I guess what I'm asking is once we had all the context and we kind of understand why this move happened and, you know, just sort of like accepting the details of what Jed was working with here. Do you feel better about this? Do you feel okay about this? Or are you still looking at this and kind of like, yeah, these guys are talented, but I'm just not seeing it. Ask me again if I'm happy. Are you happy? No. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> no, I, I, it's it that's I mean, it's kind of a loaded question a little bit, but I, I just think that the way I look at this trade is that I understand trading you Darvish. He's a he's going to be in his age thirty five season. Uh, he's a pitcher. He is at his peak value coming off the the second in the Cy Young. I understand trading him. Uh, the other thing is I think the prospects that the Cubs got back are real decent pieces. I, I think that those prospects are are potential top 10 guys in the Cubs system, all, all four of them. But at the same time, I it was shocking to me that the Cubs went about collecting these players that are all l- lower minor, not only lower minors, but like, like Arizona league, like they're, they're all teenagers, right? I, I was surprised that they went about it that way and they didn't get some guys that are younger, some guys that are closer to, to Chicago, some guys that are in the middle of the pack. And they also didn't get any pitchers. And I know that, I mean, we can talk about the Cubs lack of pitching development all day, but it, it just to get four players and none of them be any arms, it was just surprising. And now, now I don't, the, the Cubs front office knows more than we do in terms of these players. I don't know what, what type of data, what type of information is being shared from uh, instructs for these players, from fall instructs, or from just anything else that, they, that the front office has their hands on that we don't. But it, I, I just I think that they could have had a much more diverse return for you, Darvish, and, and Vic Caratini. The fact that they threw in, threw in Caratini into this mix... I feel like it just keeps getting tossed to the side, but like Caratini's a decent backup, and now the Cubs are sitting there with no backup catcher. Right. Um, I, I just I think that the the return could have been a little bit different, not necessarily better, because these prospects prospects might be great in the long run, but we just won't know until twenty twenty five. You you brought up the catching situation, so I wanna I, I wanna move on um, to now we've we've spoken the gospel about Brendan Davis on this podcast a lot. We've interviewed Brendan Davis on this podcast, so I in no way mean to, uh, you know, push him to the side or anything like that. But I want to talk about who, at least from my vantage point, is the most exciting person in this system. And correct me if you, you know, feel I'm wrong in this, uh, but at least at this moment, as we sit here in January, Miguel Amaya. Um, and a lot of that comes from, you know, his, his performance in the minors, his prospect rankings and things like that, but also uh, just a really dominant performance, uh, as we talked about on here before, in the Winter League in Puerto Rico, where he is putting up uh, in the 10 games there a couple homers, 11 RBIs, and a, an on-base percentage uh, over 500. So, Given that we're talking catchers, given that, you know, uh, the Cubs' current starting catcher is one of the more prominent names we keep hearing in the trade rumors, talk to us just a little bit about Miguel Amaya. And I, I, I think, you know, if you can, a little bit in, in that context, not necessarily comparing him to Wilson Contreras or, you know, uh, trying to justify, yeah, go ahead and move Contreras because we've got Amaya. Not, not necessarily like that, but... Contreras' name is out there. It, it was out there again today in a report um, about the Miami Marlins. He continues. It, it sort of fluctuates between him and Chris Bryant, which name on the Cubs is the most frequently brought up uh, by writers and reporters in terms of their hearing and trade talks, things like that. So if you can just kind of give us some perspective on the kind of prospect that Amaya is, his timeline, and, you know, where maybe like a more realistic projection of just like what exactly the Cubs have here and, and what Cubs can, fans can expect from his development and, and what you might be expecting of him once he gets to the majors. I'll start off with the reasons to be, I guess, critical of Miguel Amaya, because after that, I'm just going to go off on how amazing he is. But um, I guess to start off, it, Miguel Amaya hasn't had a plate appearance above a ball. Like he, ha- he hasn't even appeared in Tennessee or Iowa in, in AA or AAA yet. So I feel like the expectations, the further we get along in this winter where he's getting a whole lot of love in the uh, in Puerto Rico and the Cubs traded away Vic Caratini and they're potentially trading away Wilson Contreras. And I feel like he's getting a lot of love. And Miguel Amaya deserves to ha- have a lot of love. But it's important to remember that like he still has development still to go. He, he is a catcher that hasn't played above A ball. And that is... He did great in a ball, but it's just it's important to remember that as a part of his development, he's not ready for Chicago yet. 
he will probably start the year in Double A Tennessee. I know that um, it was it was discussed that Miguel Amaya and Braylon Marquez and Brennan Davis will all three start in Tennessee, which that's going to be a fun fun roster. But uh, I think he starts in Tennessee and then makes his way up to Iowa about halfway through the year. And I think he ends in Iowa. I, I don't even really see unless he kills it. I don't see him making it up to Chicago in 2021 at all. So we can look at 2022 as the year for Miguel Amaya, even the year for Miguel Amaya to start 2022 as the starting catcher in Chicago, potentially, if that if it comes to that with Wilson Contreras gone. But I just think that we got to temper our expectations while also watching all the crazy good things he's doing um, and getting a little excited just like down under, you know what I mean? And <laughs> I, think, I think that the part that excites me the most about Miggy Amaya is that he is a defense first catcher. Uh, his, his receiving skills have been applauded by a lot of the different pitchers he's worked with down in the minors. He is, he has a cannon of an arm and his actual like blocking, his blocking skills have improved greatly over the past couple of years. So that defense is what initially put him on people's radars. And it's ju- it's the power that's coming now. It's the power that he showed in Myrtle beach in, in 2019 in a park that's really really hard to hit home runs really really hard to hit for hit for power and he showed that a little bit in, in Myrtle Beach and then he's shown it more and more uh, through the alternate site and then through uh, down in Puerto Rico in the Winter League now so he's still developing that power he's still still developing his bat as a whole uh, but there's obviously a whole lot to be excited about uh, once he potentially makes it up to Chicago Greg so one standout metric for Amaya that caught my attention and it caught my attention because I kind of looked at the same thing with Eloy Menez a few years ago and that metric is his strikeout to walk ratio at high A and if we look at those who are under 20 years old um, in high A in 2019 Amaya had the best strikeout to walk ratio he's the only one actually in a qualified sample to have a walk rate over 10% and a strikeout rate under 18%. And at that age, you know, pr- pretty impressive stuff. And so that stood out to me because Eloy Jimenez also had that same type of portfolio at that particular time in his development. But we've seen Eloy since that time with the White Sox kind of develop into more of a, a guy who, who whiffs and, and mm-hmm. misses more pitches than not. So my question to you, with that in mind, and given some of the information we've heard about uh, Miguel Amaya changing his contact point a little bit, similar to what we saw with David Bode a few years ago, do you see Amaya turning more so into a power guy and sacrificing some contact? Or do you think he is like this catcher who's not going to strike out that much? That That's interesting because I, I'd have to look back at, at some of Jimenez's stats and numbers before he reached high A because... Mm-hmm. Amaya is a guy that has, each year that he's been in the Cubs system, each year he's lowered his strikeout rate, each year he's raised his walk rate. And so those numbers are getting closer and closer together, which is exactly what you want to see. Um, and while doing that, his power has played up each and, e- each and every year. Now, the, the slugging numbers weren't great in 2019 because he was in Myrtle Beach, which is impossible to hit there. But how he's looked with the power has gotten better and better each year. So uh, I think I can see him continuing to develop more as a power bat without giving up some of some of those contact skills moving forward. Now it depends on how he's using that point of contact and how he plans on deploying that in his at bats. Is he using that as a way to uh, attack pitches early in the count, or is he using that at like as an A swing versus a B swing or a C swing, or is he just using that in in sort of a, a David Bodie way? That we're seeing it throughout in a bat, you know. There's a, there's a difference in right. how you deploy that swing and that point of contact. But have, it, have you seen any differences? Like I know, looking, it's it's hard to find some video from the Puerto Rican league. But have you noticed anything different from when he was, you know, in high A about a year and a half ago to now? Is anything like popping out, or is it basically, you know, the exact same? I I, I have noticed in Pat. So it, when he was in Myrtle Beach, he would get the ball out front a lot, and and. Uh, he would pull the ball a lot. And the, the, the weird thing with that was is that he has plenty of power to go to dead center and go opposite field with his power. I think that letting the ball travel a little bit more actually 
would probably benefit him a little bit because you would see him rolling over on the ball a lot. Um, mm. But that also could be part of a launch angle thing where he, he needs to be hitting the ball just in the air as he's pulling it more than rolling over on the ball to shortstop and third base. Um, I, I, I haven't seen any notable things when looking at old video compared to now, but um, I also haven't dug in too, too deep on that. Hey everyone, I want to tell you about Blue Wire Hustle, a brand new program where you can host your very own podcast here at Blue Wire. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community Discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listing platforms that you listen to us on. And the best part is you can get all of this for only $15 a month. The same rate as really any other hosting site would charge you just for, you know, initially setting it up. So whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show that you just want to grow, Hustle is an open door to leveling up your sports experience. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, just go to bwhustle.com slash join. Check out the description box for this episode to find out more, but that's bwhustle.com slash join. So I know he's going to probably, correct me if I'm wrong here, he's going to be starting in Tennessee, right? Is that the, yeah. the plan yeah. for him? Okay, so let, let's say like, you know, in a perfect world, it's the middle of June. And I know you said like, hey, he's probably going to be here 22, but in a perfect world, he's ripping up Tennessee. Mm-hmm. It's mid-June. Cubs backup catcher situation, not the best. Let's say they can maybe utilize Wilson in left field because we didn't sign anyone besides Nick Martini. In in a perfect world, do you think the Cubs would even take that chance of promoting them this year if the competition at Tennessee is so underneath what he's currently doing? And do you see him even maybe like skipping Iowa if that's the case? Uh, it, it, I guess it kind of depends on the state of the Cubs at the time. Like if the, if the Cubs are competing, I think that it helps him a lot that he's a good defensive catcher, and so you're not just bringing him up, him up for his bat because you know he can hang back behind the plate too, and that makes a big, big difference in being able to get called up sh- to Chicago quicker than we kind of expect. You know, uh, I, I think that for catchers especially, I, I, I'm a believer that in, in catchers especially benefit a ton from playing in AAA because – in AAA, you have such a mix of different types of players. You get a lot of MLB vets that are playing in AAA. So you'll get all these minor league signings that we're seeing over the past month that the Cubs have just loaded up on. A lot of those guys are going to be in AAA. So for Miguel Amaya to get experience catching some of those major league-type like arms in AAA would make a huge difference in his development, I think, before he makes it to Chicago. Now, if the Cubs are in, a, in the middle of a playoff chase, he's absolutely destroying the ball I, by the end of the year, I mean, I, I think that how can you justify not bringing him up <laughs> if they're in the middle of a playoff chase and he's killing it? You know, I, I, I think that um, it's not like you're pulling up a guy from high A or you're pulling up a guy that, that just looks completely overmatched and you're just like praying that he, that he takes off. You know, like this is, this is a different situation. Now, if, if the Cubs are around 500 or below and I just think you just write him out at, at, at Iowa. So, Greg, kind of a, along these same lines, I figure we might as well um, rope in Braylon Marquez into this conversation just as he's another one of those guys that maybe has that uh, quicker timeline, I guess, to Chicago um, as we you know, we saw him in the 2020 season for a brief moment there. A- any so Along the same lines as Amaya, like, what, what do you think is the plan for him in, in 2021? I know, again, similarly, there's discussion of whether we see him in 2021. Um, but again, you know, kind of looking at everything through the lens of not 2021, the, the future, what would be your ideal sort of path for Braylon and, and where you'd like to see him develop this year um, so that he's well positioned for whenever that future is? Look, no one's perfect. Even the best baseball players strike out with the bases loaded and the best golfers sometimes three putt with the tournament on the line. 
So if you feel like you've been coming up short in the health department, it's perfectly okay. But if it's bothering you, there are options. Go to GetRoman.com slash Cubs Related now. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for hair loss or ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. A U.S. licensed healthcare professional will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, it ships to you free with two-day shipping. The whole process is forward and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com slash Cubs Related and complete an online visit. Take care of your ED without leaving home. Complete an online visit today to connect with a doctor and take care of it. Go to GetRoman.com slash Cubs Related now to get $15 off your first month. That's $15 off your first month. Look, there's a straightforward way to take care of your ED or hair loss. Go to GetRoman.com slash Cubs Related. Get started now to save $15 off your first month of treatment. I'd love to see Marquez start in Tennessee in the starting rotation, make his way up to Iowa starting rotation when he gets close to hitting the, the, that in, innings limit, which he's going to hit because guys are coming off a year that was so – and we've seen that. I mean, I, I know that uh, the Cubs front office and, and everybody across baseball is saying that starting pitchers aren't going to get all the innings in that they typically get because of the weird year last year. Greg, what do you think that innings limit will be? Like I like a range, like 100, 100 120, or what are we looking at there? I I don't know. Just with the with the the strange year last year, I don't know. I mean, I, I think that a guy like Marquez typically going into this type of season for him would be like one one fifty ish, one forty ish. Okay, but you're coming off a year where he didn't get that number of innings, like close to that number of innings last year. So I, I don't I don't know how. The development staff sees that playing out, especially with minor league arms in in twenty twenty one. But I would love to see him as he approaches that innings limit as a starter in the minors, then get the bump up to to Chicago to be able to to use that fastball slider combination out of the bullpen because I think that he's a guy that obviously can play in the bullpen and doesn't need to be in the starting rotation when he gets up to Chicago. So I I think develop him as a starter in the minor leagues this year, the upper levels that he hasn't he hasn't experienced yet. He's I mean again like like Miguel Amaya, Brandon Marquez hasn't seen a level above uh, high A ball that's not called Chicago. <laughs> you know he, he hasn't been to Tennessee or Iowa. So get that experience as a starter at the upper upper levels and then. Uh, break out the 100-plus mile-an-hour fastball in Chicago by the end of the year. Marquez, he, he's fascinating just in the fact that he's a big lefty who throws 100. Um, he's it's extra fascinating. <laughs> yeah, it's always fun. But he's, he's extra fascinating because I think he's the prototype and kind of the very first big pitching prospect that Craig Breslow has to work with. Um, and we've seen since... The second half of 2019, basically two two relatively big changes. The first one is he started using a changeup that was improved in the second half of 2019, and then just recently during the minor league camp in South Bend in his COVID year, they started implementing more of a sinker mm-hmm. with him. And so that that's just beyond fascinating for me because, as you said, he's he's a fastball breaking pitch guy. Right. And we want him to be, you know, a starting pitcher. But the way like I've I've kind of tried to figure out what they're doing that's unique compared to other systems. And the one area and I, I keep talking about this, but I'm kind of obsessed with it. It seems like Breslow and Tommy Hadevi, they're developing or promoting more usage of two seamers and sinkers. And they're almost kind of counterintuitively using those two seamers and sinkers up in the zone. And mm-hmm. we saw that even with Adbert Alzali, who developed that sinker last year, and Quintana and Andres, they're throwing sinkers up in the zone. And that's just like weird to me. So I bring this back to Marquez. Do you think that like he could just eventually turn into that change-up sinker guy? Or is he more so than likely going to be just your strict heavy four-seamer follow up with that heavy breaking pitch, and then sprinkle in those change-ups and two-seamers. Yeah, I mean, typically I would defer to you, uh, Brendan, on a lot of the pitch development type of of, of deal. But I, based off what I've seen from Braylon Marquez, now I, I don't know how... I, 
the way that he throws, the way that his arm slot is, the way he comes kind of uh, almost, I mean, almost sidearm with his delivery. Yeah. I just, I think that having that four seam fastball works really well. And we've seen the slider in the minor leagues work, work well when it's on. It's always been about his command. Okay. And the changeup was actually in 2019, the changeup fl- had flashes where it looked really good, really, really good arm side uh, fade on it. But it was just he could not command it at all. Now, is, so is it command overall or just on that one pitch? Is this like a general global command issue that he has? It, it's, it's a little bit of an overall command, yes. But I okay. think with the changeup, it was especially absent. But um, okay. the, the fastball and slider, was the command was there a little bit more. Fast, I mean, it, it very clearly with his, with his pitches, the command is, is very clearly, he commands the fastball pretty well. He d- commands the the slider below average, and then he w- just could not command the sl- the, the changeup in 2019. Uh, that doesn't mean that the the pitch wasn't a good pitch; it just meant he couldn't command it. And uh, the the move to the sinker is strange to me. I know that that's been the the way that this this development staff has worked, and maybe it does work out. I just I I guess more times than not, I I defer to you on on some of that pitch development and how that works <laughs> but we saw it work with Edward Auslite those are those yeah. are two completely different pitchers and I, I'll tell you that that I actually like I mean this I actually prefer Edward Auslite or I, I guess I'd bet on Edward Auslite in the starting rotation in Chicago for years moving forward over Braylon Marquez I just think that really I, I think that what Edward Auslite did last year just really really impressed me I think that at yep. this point Going into 2020, for me, Alzali was, I don't think he had enough quality pitches to be a starter, and I didn't mm-hmm. think that the uh, the durability was there. And yeah. the first point was just completely, in my eyes, blown out of the water. I think that, that he does have the repertoire to, to remain as a starter and the, the, the right mix of pitches to remain a starter. Now it's still just the durability. I mean, we need to see, make sure he can stay healthy in that amount of innings um, at the major league level, but I, I just I really really like Alzali as a starter now. Not that I don't like Marquez as a, as a starter. I think that he could if if those pitches all develop, he obviously could be a, a really really good starter moving forward. I just know that he has that good fastball, a great fastball, and then a good slider to go with it, and that just that works in the pin for sure. Yeah, I'm kind of like imagining, and you know maybe this is just kind of like a you know fairy tale land over here, but let's say the Cubs do have a chance to compete for this terrible division, which is, you know, on paper right now, pretty bad. Seeing Marquez out of the pen, kind of piggybacked by Broke Haraway, would be uh, <laughs> would be pretty pretty fun to watch. Like, you think Broke Haraway could have a chance to, to come up towards the second half? Yeah, I, I think that I think that Burl kind of has a similar path, what I just explained with Marquez, except Burl doesn't ever pitch as a starter in the minors. Um, I think that starting in Tennessee, moving up to Iowa, and then potentially finishing the year in Chicago is, is a very real possibility with, with Burrow. I'm looking at the potential uh, uh, pitching staff for Tennessee to start off the year, and you do have Braylon Marquez, who can touch 100 with his fastball. You got Burrow Caraway, who could touch a, 100 with his fastball. Uh, there's a potential that Michael McAveen starts the year in Tennessee, and if he's as a reliever, his fastball can touch 100. Uh, mm. There's a lot of velo. At in 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 the minors now, and and that wasn't the case three years ago. Even that was not the case. Having all this velocity in the minor leagues, and now you kind of see it at every single level. You're going to see it in 2021, and that, that that's so exciting to me. It's so exciting to see the Cubs actually having guys and a lot of dudes that actually can can hit triple digits with their fastball. While we're while we're on the topic of of some of these these current guys, uh, one thing I, I want to ask you about that, and then one when we're through that, get back to the the off season in, in more of a broad, um, you know, sort of abstract way. But but looking at twenty twenty one and looking at the guys that the Cubs currently have in their system as of this moment on Tuesday night, again we're kind of prepared for that to change maybe at any time. When if if we are not going to be going all in 
in 2021. Even at this point, a lot of the reports don't suggest that the Cubs are even going to make modest improvements, you know, in the free agent market or anything like that. If it happens, it might be minimal, right? So if we're using this to compete in a bad division, which as Brendan mentioned, and as we reiterate a thousand times on this podcast, is really, really, really bad. Um, what would you, who were some names of guys, you know, not amongst the ones that we brought up that you would like to see get an opportunity in 2021? And not just because the opportunity is there and you might have some holes to fill, but if, if we can use 2021 as an opportunity to give guys a shot that then you're able to capitalize on and, and have them as part of the rotation, the bullpen, the lineup, the bench, whatever, for 2022, who are some of those guys that you think could get those opportunities? And are, are there any guys who maybe aren't on that immediate radar? Um, you know, we hear names like Corey Abbott and Tyson Miller a lot, but any guys who maybe aren't as much on that radar that you're of the belief, like, if if they, if they if we're screwing around a little bit in 2021, we really ought to give this guy a shot because we might unearth something that then we've got, you know, cheap, controlled, young talent going forward, but we may not know that unless they really get an honest shot. Yeah, his name's Corey Abbott, and he should have been talked about <laughs> as a number five starter, like, yesterday. He, I, I, I just think that Corey Abbott is, there's a lot of pitchers at the AAA and AA level that can be given an opportunity in Chicago, regardless of how bad or good the Cubs are in 2021. And I think Corey Abbott is just the top of that list. I think, because I, I think I believe in what he has the most of those, of those guys. He, he's just, he's killed. He was the Cubs minor league pitcher of the year in 2019. And that was just more of the same for him. Like he, he's killed it everywhere he's gone. He doesn't have the Braylon Marquez fastball. He doesn't have the Burl Caraway curveball. But he, better than anyone else in the system that I've seen, tunnels just incredibly well. He has a really really good put away pitch with his cutter and slider. I, I I just I really like Corey Abbott, and I think that even as of right now, the Cubs don't have a fifth, a fifth starter, and I think that right now Corey Abbott could win that job with the roster how it is as as it stands on today on January 12th. And I think that, like I said, I think that he's an example, but you have Corey Abbott, you have Tyson Miller, uh, Keegan Thompson, Jack Patterson. There's a lot of Justin Steele. There's a lot of guys that, I mean, I could go on and on, and I think I, I have, I don't know if it was on your podcast or on my own or wherever, on Twitter, everywhere probably, that the Cubs just have not given their starting pitchers in the minor leagues a shot. Right. And I get that there's been this window of contention where they can't really afford to trust these minor leaguers, I guess, coming up and, and getting significant amount of starts in Chicago. But at some point, you got to trust these guys to be able to do it. And when Corey Abbott performs as well as he does in Tennessee and below that in Myrtle Beach and South Bend, that's a guy that you have to give a shot. And you can't just keep letting these guys like Tyson Miller, Tyson Miller coming up and, and making what three appearances in twenty in twenty twenty. Mm-hmm. That can't yep. be his only the only amount of appearances that he gets in Chicago. They can't say, all right, well we give you we gave you a shot, you weren't great, let's move on, we'll trade you, we'll release you, we'll DFA you, whatever. That that can't happen with these guys, especially in the the era of Cubs baseball that we're potentially going into. So one of the, like some of these guys need to click. Corey Abbott needs to click, or Tyson Miller. Of those na- those five names or so, somebody has to be a long term starter in Chicago, and you got to try them out. You got to see who works, and not only try them out, but give them extended shot of of trying out. I I, I can't stand when some of these when the Cubs call up some of these uh, relief pitchers, especially, but then you see it with with some position players too. They call them up and and expect them to perform in their they're two weeks in Chicago on uh, off the bus from Iowa, and if they don't perform in those, that two weeks, well, then it's, it's over for them. And I just I, I don't think that's the that's way so to go about de- developing right. your pitchers. And I think that that is I guess that's that's the first spot I see as a, a very clear chance to develop some in in house homegrown starting pitching. Right, and I and I think you make a good point that in past years there there was obviously the goal of you know winning the division 
competing for the World Series and, and performing at that top level. And, you know, they they state that that's still the goal in 2021. But if you don't really have your foot on the, the gas pedal, that's <laughs> not really what you're doing. And it, it just seems to me that in other years, you know, we've we've heard a lot. And I know you you guys and someone like Brian Smith uh, from Bleacher Nation, like, are are frequently sort of sounding this alarm bell of why are we signing a bunch of like thirty six year olds to give a shot in the bullpen or, or things like that, right? Instead of just trusting these young guys. And I think in past years, you know, maybe that makes a little more sense. But if you're doing you know, gestures broadly at this, whatever the Cubs are doing <laughs> right now, it, it just seems you might as well try and give these guys a shot and and use this as a as a platform to these guys. And it, and it's not a perfect example. Um, all these guys have different careers and and things like that. But you know, someone like David Bodie comes to mind just as someone that the Cubs gave an opportunity to. He's performed, uh, you know, up and down a little bit, but the Cubs found themselves a a cheaper depth piece that can play a few positions. And you you don't get there if you only bring in a bunch of old veterans, right? Like the the, the Carlos Gonzalez's of the world (laughs) to constantly fill these spots. And in a year like 2021, with the way the Cubs are going, it just seems like you really ought to give these guys a fair shake because then you have some answers, at least hopefully, even if it's only one or two, when you head into 2022 and 23. 23. You've, yeah. you've given these guys a shot, you know what you have, and you can kind of fill in some of those spots, hopefully when the budget ticks back up. With all due respect to Rex Brothers, what the hell are we doing? I mean, like, right. like <laughs> you have Justin Steele sitting right there. And if you're giving innings to Rex Brothers and we signed Joe Weiland this offseason, if you're giving innings to those guys and not Justin Steele and Dakota Mekis, then why have Justin Steele and Dakota Mekis in, in AAA? Like, what, what are we doing with those guys if you're giving the innings to, to Matt Dermody? You know, I, I, don't, I, don't really yeah. get, I don't really get that yeah. thought process. Uh, between Tyson Miller and Corey Abbott, I, I look at Tyson Miller and just interrupt if I'm flat out wrong, but he getting a chance in 2020, more representative representative of his stuff, I think, uh, compared to Corey Abbott. I mean, you look at the numbers in 2019, Tyson Miller was tearing up Tennessee, walk rate under two for almost 90 innings, gets the call to AAA, and his walk rate in almost 50 innings rockets up to almost five. Corey Abbott, on the other hand, in Tennessee, 2019, K-9, over 10, even better than Tyson Miller's, in a walk rate just a tad over over 3. So I'm wondering why Corey Abbott did not even get a look last year. And this is not to say, hey, why, you know, Tyson Miller should not be getting, I think he should be getting looks too. But I'm wondering, like, like why does Corey Abbott get as much love in this system. If the numbers are there, you're talking about his tunneling, the cutter, like what, what are we missing or what is this organization missing here? I, I think with the, the Tyson Miller over Corey Abbott thing in 2020, I'm, my hope is that they are higher on, like, I, I hope I'm, I'm, I guess I'm spin zoning this here a little bit and I'm hoping that they're, <laughs> they're higher on Corey Abbott and they didn't want to just call him up for a couple games. I don't really have an explanation for that. I, I would yeah. say that, with Corey Abbott and Tyson Miller, they, there's a lot of similarities between the two. I, I, they they do allow more fly ball outs than you'd like to see, for sure. Um, I think that Tyson Miller, with that, you mentioned his walk rate just kind of shot up once he made it up to Iowa. And I think a, p- a part of that was that when he was playing the Pacific Coast League, the ball just flew out of ballparks there in the league. Like mm-hmm. it, it was, I, I had watching those games. A guy would just like flick his wrist at the ball, and it would clear the fence by like thirty feet. It, it was—I'd never seen something like that in my entire life. And I th- now he, he might say otherwise, but watching him pitch and go from dominating at Tennessee to just allowing home runs like nobody's business at Iowa, my guess is he was trying to miss too many bats when he made his his debut in in Iowa, and because like he didn't want to allow as many home runs as he was. And so because that was happening, I think that he just missed the zone more than he should have. And it was a lot, a lot of nibbling, I guess. But um, yeah, I guess to answer your question, I, I'd say that my hope is that they see more in Corey Abbott moving forward. But 
yeah, I, I, there are a lot of similarities between the two guys for sure. And we'll see what happens in, in spring training. But if you were betting on between the two, who would get the first chance at a rotation, would it probably be Tyson Miller just given he got the chance already in 2020? I actually, I actually think probably Abbott. I, really? I don't. I don't know that. I don't know that for sure. I, I'd probably say just Abbott. a gut feeling. Um, I think mm-hmm. that, that that's my gut feeling. I guess, and and I, I think I, I can see Tyson in in the bullpen a little bit more. I don't think that they're going to convert him to a reliever or anything. I don't think that's happening. But um, I, I just I, I look at Corey Abbott and it's just kind of like a like a bulldog mentality, and he's going to go out there and get you innings. And that's a guy that you you're going to need in Chicago. A guy that can just go out there and. If he has a rough couple first innings, which he didn't have many of in the minors, but I think he can he can blow his neck a little and go get you four more innings if you if you need him to, you know. And that's just kind of the mentality, very like John Lester type mentality, which mm. you love to see. Very high compliment. Yeah. yeah. Well, the mentality. I'm not saying the guy's John Lester. Easy, <laughs> easy. But uh, yeah, just like that mentality where where it's like, hey, yeah, oh, he might sure, have given up sure. a couple bombs, but but he'll gut out some innings, get you through the sixth, and and. Um, you need innings eaters like those, especially going into the 2021 season. All right. So to, to finish here, Greg, and, and this is, you know, maybe a more abstract sort of question, and I, and I don't expect you to have specific names or, or anything like that, but we continue to hear the rumors about guys like Wilson Contreras, guys like Chris Bryant, et cetera. And, you know, this sort of like overwhelming sense of dread, I guess, uh, that <laughs> the, the Cubs are not done with just moving you Darvish and Victor Caratini and non-tendering Kyle Schwarber, et cetera. So when you, and, and I, I keep using the phrase because Jed used it, so it's just the easiest way for me to describe this. But if we're looking at everything through an eye on the future lens and you know they they've stated several different goals and and you know it's it's hard to pinpoint them exactly but if if the goal at least in part of this off season and and maybe you know this trade deadline it's, you know once we get to the end of 2021 if the goal is to have strengthened this system and like Jed has said have replenished this system with a pipeline of not only players that they can promote through their system to Wrigley Field, but also a pipeline that creates potential trade assets to, you know, instead of being the team trading away you Darvish, being the team acquiring players like him or Francisco Lindor, etc. in the future. So again, not asking specifics, um, or or teams or anything like that, but can you put into perspective for us what you would like to see, even just in a general sense, for the Cubs to accomplish that? And, and I guess, put more simply, let's say the Cubs are trading Wilson Contreras. Can they, with the four guys that they got for, for you, Darvish, with some of the young guys that are already in the system and, and based on their trajectory and, and projectability, can they actually accomplish the these stated goals? Or when you look at what they got for Darvish, some of the rumored names or, or, or things like that, are, are you still looking at this going like, yeah, they can add an influx of talent to the system, but it's still going to have a bunch of holes or flaws or things like that. Like, can Jed Hoyer navigate a path that, again, whether it's the end of the offseason, the trade deadline, the end of 2021, whenever the, the end point of this is, where we all look back on this and, you know, maybe we don't agree with the decision to do all of this or how they got there or the exact moves, but where we all look back on this and go, you know what, this organization is legitimately in a better place in terms of, you know, the pipeline and the prospects in the minor league system than they were before. Can they achieve that effectively? So I have a, I have a roundabout way to sure. answer that it's, question. Sure, it's, a, so it's a, so sort of an unfair me, question, perhaps. So, so I think that when you look at this entire organization as a whole, from Chicago down to the Arizona Rookie League, you look at Chicago, and right now the team they have in Chicago is like okay, right? It, it's it's they as it stands now they can compete for a division. They they um, aren't going to win the World Series, but like it's okay, right? You look at the 
upper levels of the minors in Iowa and Tennessee. You have guys like Brandon Marquez and, and Miguel Amaya and Brennan Davis up there now. And as a whole, the upper upper levels of the minor are okay. Like they 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 get the job done. They're not they're not going to blow you away, but it's 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 decent. The lower levels of the minors, you can say the exact same thing, where it's not the best lower levels of the minors in in all of all of the sport, but they they've got some real names that can really take off, and they, it gets the job done. I think that that exactly the the way that the system is currently built out, the organization is currently built out, and the way that Jed appears to be building that out even more, I think that it's a really good start, and I think that that's why you see like the the Cubs system ranked right right now, like right smack dab in the middle. They're not a top ten farm system, they're not a, a bottom third farm system. They're they're right in the middle of the pack, and I think that this system needs just time. They need. They need games played. You look at Brennan Davis. He hasn't had a whole lot of games played as a pro, but he's going to be in Tennessee. You look at Ed Howard and now all these different prospects the Cubs got in the U Darvish trade. And the in addition to those, the, the international free agents, Ronnie Quintero and Kevin Mate, the Cubs, Cubs got, there's a lot of guys that just need time to develop and their, their potential is there. And the organization from top to bottom is just like, it's close to being really good at all levels, but it's just not quite there yet. So to answer your question, I think that if the Cubs were to trade Wilson Contreras, if the Cubs were to trade Chris Bryant, what I'd love to see, I think one, one gap there is that's there is in Iowa right now, there's not a whole lot of bats that are ready for Chicago. That's why we were looking kind of like at Jake Cronenworth is a, Kind of extreme. Oh, I example. wanted him so badly. <laughs> yeah, and and I I know Corey did. I'm sure. And, and why is Michigan that, guy. Because <laughs> <laughs> I I know that I know that getting a Michigan guy like like Jake Cronenworth would be, would have been great. And I this think is not a Michigan related right. podcast. Go We're, not going, Michigan, We're not going there. We're not going there. We're not going there. I think that he he's obviously a Chicago. Not a, he would he wouldn't have been an Iowa guy. But like guys that are almost ready for Chicago is something that in terms of their the hitters is something that the system lacks a little bit. I mean, there's there's Trent Giambroni and Alfonso Rivas, but like that's that's about it in Iowa. PJ Higgins, but mm-hmm. I think that's that's a gap right now. And then I think just having a couple more guys that fit like in the in the six to ten range in the Cubs system, and I think that that's why why Jed Hoyer went after Preciado and Mania and Santana and Casey because those guys could easily fill that like six to ten range as far as Cubs prospects. So because right now the the, the top of the system is really good. I mean, you you have Brennan Davis and Miguel Amaya. We talked about these guys. They're they're very good at the top, and I think there's also a lot of depth in this system. Like back at like the fifteen to twenty range, like fifteen to like. 30 like that range is like is a really decent it's the like 6 to 15 that there's just a kind of a lot of people jumbled up and some guys either can take off this year then and surprise us or the Cubs and Jed Hoyer can acquire some talent that really fills in that that area and maybe potentially drops a guy like um, like Cole Roderer down to number 10 in the system as far as rankings and if you can get a guy like Cole Roderer at number 10 then that's a really good sign for your system. That means your system is, is, is really impressive. So a long-winded answer to, answer to your question, Corey, is that I, I, I think that the Cubs need time, and I think that acquiring either a, a talent close to Chicago, not necessarily a, a high, super high potential, but um, a guy that's close to Chicago, and then just kind of filling out the rest of this system, I think can kind of go a long ways. Because... The system as a whole is just is it's in a real decent shape. So I'm not going to let you leave the podcast without asking you th- this question, Manny Rodriguez. The guy oh my God. looks he, he he's a tank. Like the, the the guy is huge. So I'm looking at him, and I was listening to uh, your latest episode of the Growing Cubs podcast with Brian Smith, and you mentioned Craig Brooks. I'm looking at all these guys, and they have like <laughs> K per nines over 12, dude. Yeah. And like, is it insane to think that th- this bullpen that we've been so conditioned to be suspect about and all of these guys who we haven't heard come through the system, is, is it crazy to think that this bullpen, the potential for all these strikeouts and to fit into this modern day bullpen is like just cooking right there and almost ready to go? 
Dude, uh, Craig Brooks is. I mean, now we're way down on the uh, on the. Uh, we <laughs> we keep diving into the system, but Craig Brooks is the strangest thing to me because the dude has put up like a thirty five percent strikeout rate plus the past yeah. like five years in the system. I mean, it's wild, insane, like insane, and you'd never hear about Craig Brooks at all. He's so fun to watch. He's he's not a big dude. Like he's a pretty small guy. He he, he is one of my favorites to watch in the system. And, yeah, I, I guess just looking at Craig Brooks and Manny Rodriguez and then you got uh, Ben Hecht and, and Burles, I mean, a, a guy that's a higher higher name. But those guys, if they're putting up that amount of strike, those, those amounts of strikeouts in the minor leagues, you'd think they could get you some strikeouts in Chicago. And, and giving those guys a chance, again, we talked about, like, the, the giving the guys in the rotation a chance, like Corey Abbott and Tyson Miller. How about you give Craig Brooks or Dakota Meckes? I mean, D- Dakota Meckes up until 2019 – was lights out in the system, like incredible throughout his minor league career. And giving Craig Brooks and, and Dakota Meckes and um, Justin Steele and, and Ryan Lawler, I can keep going on these names, but they they have Im- just super impressive stuff. They strike out a lot of guys. Ryan Lawler, if you go, anybody out there listening, please go look up Ryan Lawler's stats <laughs> because his stats in 2019 were absurd. He, he like struck out 38% of the batters he faced. Uh, he's got a, a mid to high 90s fastball. He's got a wipeout curveball. Really good stuff. And it's like, give him a chance in Chicago, man. Like just, I, I, I appreciate converting Jason, Jason Adam into the pitcher that he is today. I, I really, really enjoyed, enjoy watching pitchers come to Chicago and perform better because the Cubs development staff identified them with another organization. But look within your own organization and see some of these guys like Brooks and, and Lawler that are performing at extremely high levels right there at home for you. I, I think that's all that we have. Um, I, perhaps more happens and we have to bring you back on, Greg, to, to give us a breakdown of some uh, young <laughs> oh, new names. I, I certainly expect that might be the case uh, for better or worse. But I, I think especially I, I'm glad to have had you clarify like on that last part, you know, because I think it's easy to hear Jed Hoyer talk about what the goals are and to, you know, read about these young guys that they get from the Padres. And, you know, for a lot of us, I mean, certainly, as always, when we talk prospects, I'm sort of speaking from the perspective of someone who, like, I know who Brennan Davis is. I can watch footage of him and, and have an opinion, but I, I I don't have a strong working knowledge of every level of the system or every prospect that's in the Cubs system and things like that. So I, th- I think it was good to kind of hear your answer um, just kind of on where the system is at and, and where this process in this offseason might get us, because I, I think it's, it's easy for a lot of us to hear, well, we want to replenish the system and see a bunch of names and kind of look around and go, did that do it? You know, like, because there, there, you know, it's, there's not like a clear answer on that, right? Um, so I think it's just sort of good to have a little clarity on that um, rather than just sort of throwing your arms up in the air going, I, I hope that, you know, this is doing what they're saying that they're trying to do or accomplishing these goals. Um, but this was, a, this was a good chat. I, I think it was informative um, and at least while we're recording this podcast, we made it without, you know, anything in here becoming quickly <laughs> outdated or in, in need of, um, let's hurry up and hang up. Yeah, correct. <laughs> right. We're going to, we're going to hang up. We're going to get this published so that we can just wipe our hands <laughs> clean of it. If, if, if something happens, but before we, we sign off, Greg, as always, I, I know we've mentioned the pod throughout the show, but throw out, uh, any, any social media, any, writing, anything you want to direct the audience to, your handles, uh, where to find you, things like that. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Out of the Vines, and uh, you can follow, follow the podcast along um, at Growing Cubs Podcast. We have been releasing podcasts every every other week, and somehow we've maintained that every other week schedule all throughout the 15-month uh, hiatus yeah, of minor well league baseball. I don't, I don't know how we've done it, but uh, we just keep talking, which I guess that's fine. And um, you can also always find find the writing. I I've, I've, haven't had a whole lot to write about with no minor league baseball, but over at Cubs Insider. And I uh, recently, I guess a couple or last week, uh, dropped something about the uh, Cubs prospects' uh, New Year's resolutions. So got to talk with Brennan Davis and, and Jack Patterson and DJ Artists and 
um, a few guys about what they want to see from themselves in this upcoming minor league baseball season. So that's always fun. So and just uh, just just to add to that too, like you you guys, your guys's pod is so in the woods with like all these names. If you're into minor league baseball, like that 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 is where you guys need to go. Uh, also also shout out to to Jimmy Nelligan, your your co-host. Yeah, uh, who who we'll have on here, you know, hopefully soon. Yeah. Um, you guys do a great job. And Thanks. the most recent episode with you and uh, Brian Smith of Bleacher Nation, you guys do this like reliever draft, which was pretty cool. <laughs> if if uh, you so are a I prospect if you are a prospect nerd, then our most recent episode is the way to go. It's awesome. Uh, we it's talked awesome. about 30 Cubs reliever prospects, which uh, that was even a little deep for me, which is saying something. So, uh, if you're into that nerdy stuff, then uh, be sure to go give us a follow and follow us uh, you can follow the podcast on Instagram too. We're over there on Instagram at Growing Cubs Pod. So we're trying to get that off the ground a little bit. Uh, put some clips and stuff of of our recordings and uh, give that a follow. And there you have it, folks. So we are still awaiting the rest of the MLB off season to unfold. Uh, as you may have noticed, things still moving at a at a small, slow pace. A lot of the big names, the big fish still out there, uh, even though I can say with as close to certainty as as is allowed in this situation, none of that really matters uh, for the Cubs unless teams that they might be trading with happen to sign better players. Uh, so, pay attention to that at your own discretion. Uh, But as always, as I've been saying for a while, and as you guys know, having experienced this, uh, stay ready, folks, because I don't think that Jed Hoyer is done. Um, I know we all have, uh, you know, we we don't have to get into this because we're at the end of the pod, but I was discussing with Brendan that, you know, when you read these rumors, I want what's best for the Cubs, but ultimately some of these guys getting traded, whether they're the better player or not, would affect me more than others. Um, so it, it has been interesting kind of reading the rumors, and I have my preferences. Brendan has his preferences. I'm sure, Greg, you have your own. Um, we all want what's best for the Cubs, but some of these guys getting moved would be legitimately heartbreaking uh, for me and you know, versus others where I'm like, okay, I can just sort of get over this. But We'll see what happens, but I, again, would advise you, if your favorite players are on this team, they might not be uh, in in due time. So just prepare yourself emotionally, mentally, spiritually, whatever you need to do. And as always, we will get through this together. We'll talk about it together. We will analyze it together. And we were very glad to have Greg on today to give us a look at the future. This is the direction the Cubs are going. This is where their plan and their path is headed. So hopefully this provided a little bit of clarity, a little more understanding, a little more in-depth thought on the Cubs system, the direction of the system, and you know where all of this is headed because that is where the Cubs organization itself is putting a lot of their emphasis uh, as it stands in January of 2021. But as always, we thank you guys for joining us here on the Cubs Related Podcast. If there is breaking news that we need to discuss uh, between now and you know next Monday morning, we will jump on and we will break all of that down. Otherwise, we will talk to you guys next week. And as always, thank you guys for listening. And we end by saying, go Cubs. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.